0: like to contact the show, send us an email at liveon at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveon
1: The first song goes
0: like this, and away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr.
1: Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the drum Mr. Boom Gaspar You can call me Al, you can call me Ed You just, just fucking call me,
0: why don't you Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and this is a pretty special episode today. A show that, if you don't know it, well, you're about to know. It's a pretty important one in their catalog, in their history right there, because something very, very special. Something was in the water late in the 2014 tour, because a couple days before this, just three days, they decided, hmm, no code would be nice to pull out in Moline, And then they play St. Paul. St. Paul always kind of felt like the loser in the situation there, but a very, very good show that we're going to end up talking about in the not-so-distant future. The next night after St. Paul, it's this show. It's Milwaukee, and they decide to do the Yield record in full. The second time that they had done a full album show within the post-Lightning Bolt era of Pearl Jam, because there were ones back in munich they did in 1992 they did 10 and in torino 2006 they did avocado so it had happened before but this is like a new thing that's happening with them and something kind of unprecedented that was going on at the time that people were getting really really excited about and this show has a lot of excitement around it we're going to hear from steven hyden again that should be awesome and we're going to talk about the whole record front to back It's my favorite record, so got a lot to say. Let's introduce Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there.
2: Hello, hello. Another album show here. We're checking them off, but yeah, this is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. It's not my favorite, but uh, it's up there. It's a good one.
0: Now, just so everybody knows out there, this is kind of out of the five that were in this era, this is the last one that we're doing because we've done all of them we did greenville we did Moline, we did 10 last year and we did toronto yeah we did binaural so this is the last of its kind and yeah i feel like you know even though it feels right now on episode number 204, whatever this is, that okay, we got through them all. And we could have staggered them out a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I feel like these are ones that we had to get to. These are ones that people want to relive and people want to hear, you know, more about. Because actually, I think that this Milwaukee show, just in total, before even doing podcast stuff, was the one that I knew the least.
2: OK. And yeah, Molina, Mal- I think, is the one that I was most familiar with. Obviously, no code. Right. And being kind of the first one of these. But there was a lot of stuff. I I knew the Yield stuff, but I wasn't really familiar with everything around it. So uh, this was good to go back and watch. It's a long one. It's got a lot of really good moments in it.
0: I don't think that we need to wait any longer to get into our friend Stephen Hyden, who in this situation, I've always wanted to do this, I'm mad at myself for not doing it in his presence, but because today is yield, we have to introduce him as Stephen Hyden. You can thank me later. All right, let's get into a little bit of our interview that we did with Steven back when he was on our show talking about his brand new book, Long Road, Pearl Jam, and the Soundtrack of a Generation. So take a listen. So talk about the day a little bit. Was the last time that you saw the band, did you go to anything in 2014? Or was the last time you saw the band in Wrigley the last year?
3: Yeah, I think it was the last, the the previous show was Wrigley. This was the first like 2014 show that I saw.
0: So going into that, I think a lot of high expectations. Obviously, it's two days after the Moline show, so that's on a lot of people's minds. In going to the show, was there a lot of talk about that? Was there a lot of, hey, maybe we can get something like this tonight, or was it just kind of still in disbelief that it actually happened?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, my memory of it, was you know uh, i'm just thinking back to that night was it was a beautiful fall night in wisconsin and you know that's pretty late october so it's like that magical time like where it's not quite winter yet it's like about 50 degrees the air is really crisp i don't remember like you know speculation necessarily about what they're going to play I just remember it being kind of like a magical, like, rock show environment. Like, where you're hanging outside, you know, there was a couple bars outside of the arena. It just had that energy where it's not literal, you know? It's just that something fun is going to happen. That's my memory of it. It wasn't like, oh, like, what are they going to play or what's going to happen? It was just like something great is going to happen tonight and we're going to be a part of it and we can't wait for it to happen
0: i mean you kind of got that very early on cheap trick yeah bob o'reilly i fifth song in
3: yeah which was crazy and you know if you live in milwaukee it's not that unexpected that like members of cheap trick will show up at a rock show like that has happened to me a few times going to shows in Milwaukee, but certainly for Pearl Jam to play Babbo O'Reilly so early in the set, but it was obviously great. I have to say too, I loved hearing Pendulum as the first song. Uh, I love a quiet opener at a Pearl Jam show. And that's an underrated song in the canon so that was like a great mood setter for the entire night but then yeah like to have those guys come out play Bob O'Reilly it was like wow like it's kind of amazing that they're doing this already when did you know
2: like obviously after Bob O'Reilly if they kick into Brennan J and then he and then off we're off to the races when did it first kick into you like oh they're doing yield right now
3: well it's funny because I was listening to the bootleg before talking to you guys today and for me, you know, they play Brain of J and then they do Faithful and you're like, okay, that's interesting. They're doing two consecutive songs. I don't think anyone necessarily knew that they were going to do Yield based on just two songs. But it's sort of like, oh, this is kind of intriguing. And then they go into No Way after that. And No Way is <laughs> a song, I, I don't know what the set list stats are for that song i can't 12 believe. times exactly very, very little okay yeah. so i was gonna say like it, that can't be a song they've played many times so like when you go into no way you're like okay this is it And <laughs> I, and i think even when you listen to the bootleg there's like some cheers that you hear at the beginning of no way maybe people are just excited that they're playing a a rarely performed song but i think it was mainly people knowing okay they're doing it now like right if you drop in no way it's like okay it's on we're we're playing yield at this point
2: (laughs) this kind of became a thing in the early 2000s with your you know riot fest and coachella where bands are going to come out and they're going to play this album or they're going to go on tour and they're going to play this classic album front to back and you know that's going to happen are there any other ones that you've seen that would compare to this where does this rank in in sort of that hierarchy of of bands doing this i know Pearl Jam has done this, like we said, you know, five or six times now, but it's always been kind of unannounced. Have, has, have there have there been other ones that you've seen that would would come close
3: to this? I mean, the only thing I can compare it to, because you know, for the most part, like when bands do this, they promote it. You know, it's like yeah. we're we're gonna play this album in sequence, and that's why people are buying the ticket. The only other time where it happened and it was a surprise was when I saw Bruce Springsteen and I think it was 08 where he did Born to Run. Ooh, which is a pretty good album. And I've heard of it. Well, I've listened to it once or twice. Yeah. He did Born to Run in sequence and I don't think that was, you know, I know it was not announced. And he even had this guy Richard Davis who's a bass player, a very well-known jazz bass player who played played with van morrison and he uh, is a i think he teaches music or he did at the university of wisconsin this was a show in milwaukee and he played bass on meeting across the river on on the record and he came out and he played meeting across the river live awesome i think that was the saint patrick's day show too just a layer of that on top of wow. it as well so yeah so that was like a pretty good show, you know, like, eh, it's like, eh, okay. I'm joking. It was a fucking amazing show. (laughs) As Um, you're wearing your your Bruce shirt right now. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the only other thing I could could compare that to. And again, it's like, I mean, I've seen bands play albums in their entirety, like where that was like part of the tour and it was cool, but it is a little special, like when you don't expect it. You know, and it's just like this special surprise and you feel like it's just for you, you know, like that just kind of adds it, you know, like another level to it.
0: So Yield or anything else in the set list, there were 35 songs played. You would die if you got that in the 2022 tour. But what do you think was like the moment to you that stood out the most? It could be from the Yield set or anything else from this, this massive set.
3: Man, there's so many things. I mean, you know, again, I was listening to this bootleg before talking to you. I mean, yield was obviously. I mean, it's probably the headline of that show, but I love. There's a moment where, because this show was on Tim Petty's birthday, mm-hmm. Eddie comes out. He plays like a little acoustic set as the first encore. And he's like, it's Tom Petty's birthday. And it was like, we're going to like sing happy birthday to Tom Petty. And then they play I Won't Back Down for Petty. That's really special to me because I love Tom Petty. And, you know, it has extra resonance because it's like three years before he died. You know? So that's really special to me. So that, that stands out as well. I just feel like that show it's like a three-hour show and it just has a little bit of everything and like that little acoustic set that eddie plays it just kind of it's like another sort of dynamic thing that happened at that gig that's so special but yeah that tom petty like singing happy birthday to tom petty i think is pretty awesome like that really stands out in my mind
0: All right. So thanks once again to Stephen Hyden. Do you blame me, John? Do you blame me for that? A little bit. A little (laughs) bit.
2: No, uh, thanks to Stephen. He's, He's a friend of the show now. Looking forward to getting him back on as soon as we can.
0: Yeah, and if he's listening and everybody else is listening, the book has just gotten rave reviews. Everybody I've seen that has read it said it's just been a wonderful read. So if you haven't gotten your hands on it yet, Long Road, Pearl Jam, and The Soundtrack of a Generation, definitely pick it up because it's phenomenal, and you'll just enjoy his writing style as well. Now, I think there's something that we need to address within this whole album show because we didn't really know the story until this week. Now... I specifically remember this on this night when this happened. I was back to work after taking the week off because I went to the show in Memphis. So that was part of my vacation week. And I was working on Monday Night Football at the time, and that happened to be a Monday night. I got a text from my friend Steve. He's been on the show before. We've talked about him, and we've told his stories before. And I got a text from him. He was living up in Milwaukee at the time, so this was an easy one for him to get to. And I got a text from about six o'clock Eastern time. All it said was, holy shit, the band's going to do yield tonight. I'm like, wait a minute. They announced this beforehand. Like I, I had no knowledge of it. And all I knew was that a couple days ago they did my and that kind of came out of nowhere. And it's not like I was following any of this along in real time. I was just like, okay, I got to look at the set list the next day kind of thing he tells me this and i'm like jesus what are they doing and and why did did they not decide to do any in memphis like am i just missing everything i think at that moment i probably said to myself don't miss anything ever again but the whole thing of what happened and what's always been stuck in my mind is that i thought that the band just made the announcement because he said that they were planning to play it but that didn't come from the band at all, checking out old tweets and stuff like that. There was no sign of them saying, Hey guys, when you get into the arena tonight, get ready because we're going to do Yield. No, this came off of something else. John, do you want to address it?
2: Yeah, because I kind of have the same story. I remember, I think I remember seeing it on Twitter that this was happening and I we were going back and forth trying to figure out what had happened and I you know, thanks to I think Patrick from Hallucinogenic Recipe on our Discord, we were talking about it and he was the one who pointed out, remember that it was actually Demi. What happened was someone had gotten in, taken a picture of the set list and sent it to him and he had put it on his website and then it kind of went semi-viral for the time in the Pearl Jam community it got around so people knew if you were in the know if you were looking for it, you could do you could have figured this out beforehand which is a little weird like you thought there would have been a little blowback from that like we saw that a couple of times this year where someone had leaked a set list and people kind of shut it down immediately and people were banned and blocked and all that sort of thing but yeah it's a little bit of a bummer that it happened because it kind of probably spoiled it for a few people. And like, we're, we're going to get to it in the show. Obviously Ed kind of teases it a little bit as well before, before they get going. But it's just weird that that would have happened and everyone was just kind of like, Oh, maybe the, the magnitude and the spectacle of it, maybe made people kind of look the other way and appreciate it for what it was going to be.
0: Here's the thing I kind of off of that point that you said about the leak and, and yeah, when you see this on paper, it would be really, really hard to keep it to yourself. First of all, everybody has this knack nowadays of wanting to break news because it doesn't have to be a reporter that breaks news. If you see something, you say something, and that's the news. You can break it on your Twitter, you can break it on your Facebook, whatever, and people will pick up on that and they'll verify it, all that. But yeah, I can see how something like this to get in the hands of anybody, not just the, the person that's I wouldn't say at fault here, but the person who decided to leak it. And, you know, I vehemently oppose it. I fully understand why it happened, but it should never happen on any circumstance because there are people out there that before the show, they're maybe checking on Facebook, maybe they have a ticket that they're selling that, you know, they want to see if anybody needs at the last minute. And they're looking at these groups. They also want to see if there's anybody around that maybe they can meet up with. And they're looking at all the groups. And all of a sudden, you know, they're scrolling, they're scrolling and scrolling. And all of a sudden, it's like, here's the set list for tonight. Like, I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed if that were my show. And honestly, I think that one of the leaks that happened this year was MSG. I'd be pissed if I knew that set ahead Mm -hmm. of time. Real pissed. And I don't think I know too many people that would be happy to see it. Like, I think it happened at the last show at Fenway in 2018 as well. Yeah, if that's happening, then that should be like, if it's not rule number one, it's rule number two. And honestly, it is rule number one because you are being an asshole if you do it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just so everybody many people, Everybody's fun.
2: Exactly. Like, so many people go into this and, like, part of the fun is – not knowing what songs are going to play because they're so unpredictable. And like, you never know what you're going to get in any certain night. If they were doing the same set every night, then it wouldn't matter. But because of the kind of band that they are and because of what they do, like that is one of the main draws for people. And so, yeah, if that gets out, then that's, you're kind of spoiling kind of the main fun for people. So yeah, definitely. If you ever find yourself in that situation, definitely
0: keep it to yourself. Yep. Like they say in uh, the song, all right, keep it for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So I think one of the things just right before we kick into the show that I, I just want to bring up is, of course, the albums and everything like that. I, I, I want to know, like coming into this, what was your full album show ranking of these? And I know you went to one. So that's, you know, obviously, yeah, important yeah. This, but w- w- more importantly, where did you have this show originally in the five?
2: Right in the middle. I think Greenville is, is going to be my number one because I was there, and it was such a cool moment. Moline's number two, and this one's right behind it.
0: Okay. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I would put it behind Philadelphia. Absolutely. I, I,
2: I'd i put it ahead of Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, no, I like I, I like Philadelphia so much more, especially before this. But I think it's in the same spot now that it was beforehand because I know it's 10. I know you basically, you know, uh, through six shows, I got the whole record this year. But it's still the magnitude of the moment, the importance of the moment and how the crowd responded to that. I kind of fluctuate between Philadelphia and Greenville. So any given day, I can like more than the other, but it's always Moline number one. I think that out of the five, this was just the one that I just didn't dig into as much. And maybe it was because it felt like there was less fanfare around it. It felt like, and this is a point that I'm going to get into when we're talking about it. Moline had moments that you can go back to within the no code set where you're like, that's it. Like, that's the one where everybody figured it out. That's the one where everybody is just enjoying this moment. And I'm not saying that Yield didn't have that. I'm saying that those things are things that the band has brought back. And those things are things that the crowd has brought back. And, you know, both of these shows are straight in the Midwest. A lot of Chicago people go into there. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. But I I think that it kind of becomes the Moline little brother a little bit because Moline was that perfect of a, of an opportunity. And it was also, continue to be on everybody's minds until this very day.
2: I mean, yeah, and, they they chose to release Molina's Vault and and not exactly.
0: This exactly. Right. That kind of says a lot. So, not to downgrade this at all. I think they're all fantastic, I think. They all have things that are special to them and special to the people as well. And I think that the only thing we can do is just kind of kick into it and see how it all turns out. Red Dot is playing as the band enters the stage. This is three days after doing Full Note Code, and yeah, maybe people thought it was a coincidence, but also the people that might have seen the setlistly leak would have been like, oh oh yeah, that's, that's legit, that's happening now. So, premeditated, and smart for the band to do that, but give us five songs before getting into that, Uh, to kind of warm me up a little bit, and uh, the crowd's going to be real excited. So I'm packaging the first four together here before we get into Baba, and that's Pendulum, Mind Your Manners, Corduroy, and Lightning Bolt. During this era, it was supposed to be the three-song slow burn to start, and we just want to get into the the show right away because imagine if they did that, If they did pendulum, then small town, then nothing man or something like that. Then what do you have? Like a song or two in between to be like, okay, let's, let's fire them up. And, and now here's the full album. I I think this was the right way to do it. Mind Your Manners was very energetic. Corduroy was excellent. You know, lightning bolt too. Like lightning bolt had just tremendous energy on it. And the whole thing kind of feels like you are building up to something pretty big. And you really when I'm thinking about like the mid tempo stuff, the mid tempo stuff doesn't really happen until faithful, you know, outside of the pendulum opener. This is pretty fired up to begin this. And even if you know about it, and you're kind of like, okay, when is it happening? I think that you lose all track of that within these first five songs.
2: Yeah, it's kind of its own little mini set here. And I have two main things that I want to bring up. The first one is Mike McCready. And the thing about Yield is that he has no real moments on Yield to stand out. That's true. So you've got to get him... These moments early on, and I know that when Ed sat down and made the set list, he looked at this and he goes, Oh, we've got to give McCready a couple of moments early on, and then he's going to have obviously the big one after they're going to kick right in after Yield is done. It's going to be the Mike McCready show again. But I really thought Mind Your Manners and Corduroy, especially, I think they were trying to cram in as much Mike as possible early on to get him some moments before the Yield stuff kicks in. The other thing is, and obviously this is a great Stone Gossard show, like if you are a Stone Gossard fan, which you should be, I don't know why you're listening to this if you're not, this is a great one to just put on the headphones, turn up that right channel, and just listen to Stone go off because he has a fantastic show. The other one is that when the band knows something that the crowd doesn't know, there's kind of an attention and energy on stage that they're excited to get to the thing. It's like like a kid who knows a secret and like can't wait to get to school and tell all his friends like they are just bursting on stage these first four or five songs pendulum you see stone and jeff just kind of going off and you see them kind of smiling at each other it's almost like wink wink nod nod you guys aren't ready for this corduroy and lightning bolt especially really benefited from the energy on stage so you gotta know something so i think even like we've talked about this too greenville it was really daughter that made a kick in for me and you know we've talked about oh you know when would you have known what was happening i think even coming off moline like even with red dot i probably would have been suspicious but after lightning bolt i'm sure you've got the quote talk about it all the time and they think things are going to get a little bit off the rails early here
0: that's right yeah the band's in control of a misdirection and they can't wait to just reveal it but before they get into that they're gonna have a pretty massive moment right here so it says good evening we're closing down on the end of a run a long run and we have one more band show after this and it's usually that last show you always think it's gonna be the best one, but it's not. It's the second to last show which is the best. We're excited to be back in Wisconsin. It's not normal what's gonna happen here tonight. And that's that's gotta get everybody kind of going, mm, okay, all right, what's the not normal thing? We have some very special guests from the great state of Illinois, which there were some booze and cheers. There is definitely a divided crowd here from the city of Rockford, royalty legend, Mr. Rick Nielsen. And very cool, like right away, you see that they're matching guitars and bass with Mike, Rick, and Jeff there. I thought that that was just a tribute to him, a tribute to Cheap Trick, and goes to show how much respect and admiration that Mike and Jeff have for him. And of course, fifth song in the set is, yeah, um, checking my notes, it's Baba O'Reilly. Of said that this is like its own mini set here, Baba is closing a five-song mini set, strangely enough, and you're getting the crowd something pretty massive that they don't expect at this point at all, kind of in the same realm as Rocket in the Free World was in Oakland this year. And maybe this is enough of a misdirection that their minds are completely off the fact that something else is going to happen. Maybe this is going to be the thing that's not normal that's happening tonight. In, in oh, they're there. just
2: going to do a cover set. They're going to just do all covers. Right, or guests and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But
0: it's song in, and Ed's already got the tambourines. This is a really, really fun performance. It's exciting to watch. They have this situation ever come up again where they have a special guest and they want to play something big. I would love to see it earlier in the set rather than later. And that kind of goes back to the story of Ed... Doing highway to hell with bruce because ed was backstage and bruce was like we're gonna open with you so you can just enjoy your time backstage so yeah, yeah. kind of the same thing
2: yeah this is just a mind fuck, what the fuck moment of the show like it gets the crowd going right away and obviously yield doesn't actually start off exactly you know fan friendly there's more of the deep cuts at the very beginning until you get to give them the fly So they want to have a big crowd moment here. And yeah, Rick Nielsen comes out and he's got the classic look on. He looks just like he did in 1977 or whatever. So yeah, it's a nice moment. I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't bring him back, like do a Rocket on the Free World at the end and give him a chance to come back after and have another moment and, and play around. I'm kind of surprised that this was it. And then this isn't on Live Footsteps. We've got, to, we've got to talk to Dave, but Ed does a little tease of surrender. That's right. Afterwards, it kind of gives them a little moment. They, they do a little tease of it here, and then we're off to the races.
0: Yeah, Ed and Rick do some back-to-back scream, kind of like, hey and yeah. they're going back and forth. And then Ed, he thanks him, and then he says, he never gets lost in the woods. He just follows his own line of guitar yeah. picks back yeah. home. And I saw it a couple of times where he's just kind of... and I don't know if that's a Rick Nielsen thing that he ends up dropping his pick a lot. I don't. No, I think he, he
2: he throws them out. He's got like a handful in his pocket, and he was tossing them out to everybody, kind of like. Oh, Mike even did.
0: like during mid-song because I saw yeah. him mid-song without a pick.
2: Oh wow! Well, yeah, yeah. No, I think he was just just tossing them out. Uh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
0: And that's probably why Mike takes the handful, and tosses right. them out too. Yep yeah makes a lot of sense all right you ready to do this here do it all right it's on was such a fun diversion that even when i'm watching this in my mind i kind of lose the fact for a second that this is a big thing that is about to happen so there is some deception here and brandon j just sounds fast and stone sounds fantastic on the solo it won't ever have the exact bite of 1998 but it feels like whenever they do bring it back they don't cheapen it they go at it pretty hard, even this year. Even this year, when they played it the few times that they did, they pretty much went for it. So it's always one that, you know, it's not going to be in set list, especially if I'm going to a show it's not going to be in set list. But they continue to play it as close to the original as possible. I like that they made that decision. Brand J needs to be fast and loud, and that's what it was here.
2: My thing on this is I think some people knew coming off Moline, you get a weird track one like this that yeah. they don't normally do, and you're like, okay, yeah, here we go. This is definitely happening. Compared to some of the other movies, I think it took a few songs to get into it. I definitely would have been suspicious as soon as Brain and Jay started. I've been like, oh, okay, this is a little too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. Like, I think there were some people who are in the know who would figure this out on the very first song.
0: Well, and that's a great point that I'm going to bring up right now in Faithful because there are definitely people that know. And coincidence that it's all the people on Stone's side, because this is such a stone-heavy record, that everybody on Stone's side are the ones celebrating and the ones that are visibly excited about this. And I think that if you look on Mike's side, they're not as emphatic. And they will get there. They will get there, but I don't know if that's because they hadn't figured it out yet. I'm thinking that maybe somebody on Stone side said to everybody, Hey, it's Yield! It's Yield! And everybody kind of just shouted that out loud and everybody gravitated towards it. And that's how that whole section is just bouncing up and down. And the singing is fantastic because this is one that you hear the crowd on in most cases, but in this, like, you've got to hear them pretty full and the clapping along at the end was great too. This was a very good performance out of all the songs from the album.
2: this is the record where he took the solos a lot of the lead guitar stuff is on his side so maybe they were excited to see their guy do his thing
0: that's a really good point that you bring up about stone and we've said it from the beginning that this is really a stone show and now we're going to segue into a song that is lyrics and music all stone gosser right here to Talk- how this song has never seemed to click live for the band and this would be the last performance that they've done to date so I'm sure that there are just so many savvy people up in front that are you know the loudest of the bunch that maybe it's the stone side maybe everybody knows what's happening and at this point if you don't know what's happening then you just don't know your Pearl Jam records but maybe everybody's in on it on this one
2: seemed like they had practiced it like it felt like they had taken some time at soundcheck to kind of go through the deep deep cuts on this especially after what had happened in moline where there were a couple of hiccups along the way
0: well john do you do you remember this if you look at the set list from memphis this was kind of it wasn't a scratch off but it was kind of in the little pocket of like question marks. Hmm. It was. It had no way in another song that I, I I can't remember at this moment. But no no way was filled in on that set somewhere. Interesting. As a possibility.
2: Yeah, I mean, they am sure they had this planned out. You know, we saw it with Toronto that some of the binaural songs were popping up before, trying to get them some extra practice on. The kind of another point I wanted to make on the album shows is that. There's normally like the realization song and then there's the celebration song, right? There's the song where everybody figures it out. And then the next song is the one where everybody gets to let loose and celebrate that it's happening. Yes, you know, for some people, I think Brain J was the one where like, okay, we're definitely suspicious that this is happening now. You know, I would have been one of those people, especially if you had seen the setless leak. But let's say you, you didn't see the setless leak. No Way Starts. Obviously, this is the rarest one on the record, even more than Push Me, Pull Me. This is the realization song, and then you're gonna follow that with Given the Fly, which is gonna be the celebration song, and I think getting into that a little bit makes that more epic, a little more soaring. It feels like, The crowd really takes off here and really elevates the next few songs. I thought No Way was played very well. It easily could have been a train wreck. We've seen it kind of be a train wreck before, but they did a real good job with it and I thought it seamlessly flowed to setting up the kind of hit section of the record here.
0: So Ed gives credit to Stone for that one and says when I was growing up, nepotism, that's an interesting word to use here, nepotism was an intense thing, especially when you didn't have anyone ahead of you, then you really despised nepotism. Now that I have kids of my own, I've changed my mind a little bit on that. Yeah, of course. You kind of get different kinds of royalties, Prince Harry, that sort of thing. Then you have the royalty when the person has earned it. And that's real royalty, so we want to dedicate the next one to one of the greatest football players of all time, Aaron Rodgers. uh, Moving on, I know that they've uh, just, this didn't age well. It it just didn't. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry for all you Packer fans out there, but yeah, this didn't age quite well. But yeah, it didn't go over very well with the Chicago crowd over here. And that's not going to be the first time that it didn't, but it kind of switches back and forth between the two sides. So yeah, that's it's all part of the story of this, of course, but no story is bigger than the actual album itself, given a Fly, and you get like the rolling beats and the rolling claps from the crowd in the very beginning, like changing the lyric to kind of tie into Aaron Rodgers to hundreds of yards. And seeing it from the perspective of being behind the stage in the video, this is everybody celebrating now. This is everybody bouncing up and down. I felt like Smile was the moment for that, and Moline. What was the moment that you really felt? Daughter for Greenville? It was probably glorified G.
2: I think Daughter was the realization one, and then glorified G was the celebration remember we talked about how Mike kind of pumped his fist. Yeah. After, after that, it felt like, yeah, this had that same kind of energy.
0: Go animal is pretty normal yeah. in any other circumstance, so yeah, I'd right. get that. I think Alive was probably that for 10, and by Gnarle, it probably came at God's dice, because it's like, all right, they would never do this in any other situation. But it felt like this was a realization, as you were mentioning, and excitement, and this is really when the appreciation for the album starts to show.
2: I think too after the Bob O'Reilly moment they were on such a high and they were looking for a way to like release that with something they knew and something that the whole crowd could sing along with and given to Fly is that yeah this is a really good version
0: yeah imagine if you didn't have Rick Nielsen there imagine if you didn't have Bob there and it was just lightning bolt into yield you think that would have not soured it a little bit but do you think it wouldn't have had the same impact that it obviously did here I don't know that's such a weird thing. I mean, it probably still would have
2: worked. It would have been fine. But that's such a like delineating moment. It's like, here's this thing that happened, and then everything after that is separate. That it's kind of hard to take it out of the context of it.
0: Yep. Uh, wishlist is showing up. Like, come on, you guys know the record. I don't have to be like, this is next, and this is next, and this is next, because... You know it all. So it was a seamless transition, though, and a little old school here, getting the disco ball effect back in. How about that? Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And look, I think this is going to be a point that I bring up once kind of the set is over, that these songs were pretty much as close as you can get to playing them the way they were on the album, playing them time-wise, how they're paced on the album. So, Wishlist, you know, it's it's quick, it's probably like two and a half to three minutes, no extensions, no evo no tags or anything like that, and everything kind of followed along in its footsteps.
2: I kind of wish it had, I kind of wish they would have taken a little bit of a break here and let Wishlist have a moment, do something on it, but you know, I get why they didn't, you know, if you're playing the record, you want to kind of give people that experience. But I thought it would have been a nice moment to give it a little bit more of a spotlight and let it linger a little bit. But they
0: decided not to. All right. Ed says that Mr. Jeff meant on the bass guitar. He was the writer of the next song, Words, and Everything. And that's one of the great things about Yield is that it was really the first where it felt like a complete collaboration where Jeff did his own thing, brought it in. Stone did his own thing and brought it in, and everybody just kind of listened and, and mixed in and found their place within the songs. And and also, what was really nice about this record is that Mike would write something like Brandon J., and then give Stone the solo on it. That collaboration was probably more important than you would kind of anticipate it being for the history of Pearl Jam, the way that things went down during No Code, which were getting a little dicey and just a lot of walking around eggshells a little bit during that era, but Yield felt like everybody was pretty comfortable and confident within themselves, and they made a great record out of it. So, Pilot, How about this on pilot? There's no obeys, listens, kisses, loves during any of that. What'd you think of that? I I feel like that's something they need, you know?
2: yeah it felt a little like they were playing it safe and again one that doesn't get played very often so i think they were trying to again this is it's kind of stuck in the middle of the hits section here i think yeah i think they were just kind of playing it conservative playing it safe with "Pilot." like let's not do anything crazy let's just have this be the transition and
0: get to evolution it was a fun performance though i thought it, yeah, like sure. it sounded like it, it, it kind of had a bounce to it. it sounded like it had good energy is it underrated in the grand scheme of things or is it properly
2: rated oh no it's it's underrated i really like this song it's i always you know have a soft spot for the these bass player songs so you know he kind of has some of the weirder ones and yeah i really like this i wish they played it them
0: all right time to flip the record go to side b which arguably i don't know side b better than a side a i'm kind of on that side right now
2: better is a different argument i think it has more moments live than maybe side A does given to fly not with withstanding.
0: Yeah, perhaps. You do get one of those kind of moments here with do the evolution being first and the crowd is back to bouncing around. Wish List and pilot are kind of two that you can take a little bit of a break on if needed and evolution obviously they're, they're waiting for it. They know what they're getting into and what I found really interesting about doing Yield and I'm going to compare it to doing 10. That right off the bat, you lose two of the biggest songs, but not even just the biggest songs. You lose songs that have staple spots in the set list. You lose Even Flow at number two, where it's usually number eight or number nine, and then you lose Alive, which is basically getting you into the end of the show. So the end of the show. It has to change drastically because of that and with the two big songs in this given a fly and evolution you don't have that issue because given a fly like that would be considered main set and that's pretty much where you'd expect given a fly to be anyway and do the evolution pretty much goes everywhere so it's not like you're saying at the end of the main set where do the evolution is sometimes like oh man we're missing evolution here not at all not at all. I think that's what's interesting about these two kind of Swiss Army Knife songs is is that they can go anywhere you need them to, and, and doing YIELD doesn't take away from anything else that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, they, they've got plenty to hold back for, for after this is over with. They're not hamstrung by, oh, we don't have this one and this one available, but we're going to talk about they've got plenty more to come after YIELD
0: is done. Right, right, right. Evolution, again, you're getting good energy out of it, and Stone has rock and solo again, great fun, good pace, and feels like a, a good moment out of this. Like I said, with Wishlist and Pilot, it, it kinda dips and then you kinda get back to that thing there. the weird part or is it not because it's not a live thing and they don't turn it into a live thing but obviously in between evolution and mfc you get the red dot on the record which was obviously played as they walked out onto the stage it's not weird to me to not get that because you are doing this straight up as a live rendition of the record and if that had never been done live then you have no business adding it anyway. But however, what was weird to me was not having "Untitled" before MFC.
2: Yeah, it falls under that same thing of like they're wanting to play it as it is on the record. So I get why they didn't do it. But yeah, I think it it would have been nice to do a little "Untitled" improv here and you a little break. Even maybe do a little red dot lyrics and "Untitled" maybe. a are all crazy. I don't know. <laughs> would have been nice but i even think like having a red dot intro is cool i even think it would have been cool if they had like after evolution kill the lights do a little red dot over the pa like give it a little moment there i thought that would have been cool i understand why they don't do it like you don't want to break up the flow of the set like that but that's always kind of what people go to is like, oh, there's hope that they'll do Vitology someday because they could walk out to I and they could just kind of skip over the interstitial songs and like, they can make it work, but. Untitled, yeah, I, I love Untitled. I think it would've been nice, but again, this isn't the kind of show that they're gonna do that. I thought this was such a good stone night and stones warmed up by this time he's had plenty chances to go off especially coming up through the evolution i thought this part of the set was just peak stone i thought he was just locked in perfectly it was just awesome to listen to
0: To a little bit deeper into the album here. We're on track, I believe, Low Light is track 10 off the record. So obviously for anybody that kind of understands Low Light, it was not part of the Yield era live and it was a long time considered a rare commodity, which a lot of these at the end are. Now low light at this point is pretty much a set list staple and now you're kind of getting to see it in sort of its original format in a way. I think the thing that kind of got me is every single time they do it in this era, he'll always kind of scream that, all I feel is gone, like, he'll kind of do that. And he didn't do any of these little embellishments during Low Light, you know? The I Don't Need the Light part stayed pretty even to what the song is, because he usually kind of goes really high on that. But this was as close to the album rendition rather than sounding like the typical Pearl Jam live track on it. I think that was a conscious decision, too. I didn't think that they didn't do it for the sake of not doing it i think that ed thought about it and he said all right well this is an album let's get it as close to the album as possible and i think part of it too is the placement
2: i think a lot of times they use low light early on in the set when you need to kind of build up the crowd and have it serves as kind of a lead-in to maybe a faster section or something a little more soaring a little more up tempo and it is there to build that up and like we talked about in the outdoor arenas when he'll choose to play it kind of when the light is coming down when the twilight is on and he'll do that there that's more of the spot for that kind of thing for him to kind of embellish and and give it those moments but i think here at at song number 14 in the show you're in it at this point we're kind of getting to the back end of the record here I don't think it needs that really it, it's not really gonna set up the rest of the set like it normally does.
0: I'm with you on that and obviously we're gonna get into In Hiding here, another stone classic. And I think that out of all of these In Hiding might be pretty close to the top and that's again another point that we can bring up at whatever point but there was a moment where I thought and I listened to it and I'm like oh this can go haywire badly there was a really quick shift. I think in between the verse chorus that could have gotten really ugly, but was fixed right away. And it was just the way that Ed was building this crowd off and the way that ed was going back and forth and doing the mic stuff with him and you know he's getting up to the top of the stage on top of the monitors engaging and we're over an hour into the show at this point and the crowd knows it's coming close to the end i feel like in hiding was kind of one of their almost like how alive is in a way like okay this is the signal that is going to be one of your last moments in all this so you better take the moment and you better leave it all out there because in a couple of songs we're moving on to other things. So I think the crowd really brought it on in hiding and I think that Ed was definitely doing a lot of encouragement for it.
2: the ones that similar to Given to Fly do the evolution and the ending of Brain and J where it, it's the point on this record that really soars and like it's got that kind of anthemic classic Pearl Jam sound that Stone does and yeah it gets the crowd going really well. This is a really good moment in the show Ed and Stone together I think on this is very very good. Yeah it's one of the highlights I think
0: So the next one Clearly was not a radio hit, as Ed would say, and written back when we thought we had the trust of the audience. And obviously, we still feel that way. And apparently, it had nothing to do with Dr. Doolittle. I'm not sure what that was a reference to, but it didn't have anything to do with Dr. Doolittle. So, push me, pull me. This is definitely the height of the weird stuff on the record, of course. But listening to Ed on it, I loved his canter during this version because you know when he he doesn't especially on the record it's kind of very beat Nicky it's kind of doing some poetry there but this felt a lot more like he's doing it in a preacher style like very confident and convinced on every single word like how your everyday preacher chooses his dialect and all that but another good one here that doesn't get played a lot and this was actually the last to date the 13th and last time that they had played it to where we stand right here at this point so maybe there were a lot of people in that crowd that were of the Chaser ilk and they were thinking okay get me that Push Me Pull Me I'm real excited about it
2: yeah I wish they would have brought this back yeah the, the two on the record that haven't been played after this you know no way in Push Me Pull Me I think that's just a tragedy bring those things back you know I, I would love to heard Push Me Pull Me this year that would have been great and I know they've kind of like taken the bite out of a little bit it's kind of a little more Ramonesified now. They just kinda of play it straight kinda of like a punk rock song. It lost a little bit of like you said like the beatnik kind of funkiness that it has on the record. I think it's it's a really cool Jeff moment. That bass line I think is very, very good. You get a little bit here but they don't give it the full weirdness that it has on the record. Which is fine. It's it's a cool song and I think it's one of the ones that I'm sure there's people like, huh, I haven't heard this in forever. Would have been a not really a, a sing along on this but still very cool and if i'd been there i would have been singing along (laughs) full-throatedly
0: This is a long ed speech. I will do my best on this. When I was young, just south of outside of Chicago, you used to do things and your parents just told you, just leave the house. I don't want to see you again until the street lights come on. And now you kind of need security to escort your kids any way they wanted to go. Hey, nepotism? Anybody? Anyway, uh, back when you were... Seven or eight, you can do whatever you'd like, especially if you had a bicycle, because that was your own mode of transportation. You can make it up miles anywhere. So one day, me and my buddy raided his dad's fridge because we wanted to drink beer for the first time. I don't know what brought that on. Adults were doing it and enjoying it, so we thought we would try it. There were two six packs in his dad's garage, and we took one of each so he wouldn't notice that they were gone. So we went and took it into the woods, in the pasture, in the bushes, and we thought, We're going to hang out and and do this. We're going to hang out and drink beer. So our first Skid Row experience. His first beer was Ham's, but my first beer was an old Milwaukee. And I still remember exactly how that first sip of beer tastes. But then there's that old saying, Milwaukee tastes as great as its name. But it's just not that great of a name. It's like old, dusty, dusty. Do they even make old Milwaukee anymore? The crowd apparently cheers on that. I think I did have an old Milwaukee in college years ago, but that goes without saying. And he thought the crowd was fucking with them and says, I bet it still tastes the same, just as great as its name. So now I drink wine, and the connection to this was that it was a story about all of those yesterdays.
1: Don't you think you ought to rest Don't you think you ought to lay your head down Don't you think you want to sleep Don't you think you
4: ought
1: to lay your head down
0: Sometimes I kind of go back and forth because I am an opener guy, but I'm also a closer guy and I go back and forth trying to think Are the album openers better than the album closers or the album closers kind of surpass that? And one of my arguments is always all those yesterdays is if not sneaky good, then it's excellent maybe my third favorite song off this record and something I got really excited about when I heard it in Toronto last month too. It's just one of these songs that's so unique within their catalog and they don't do it that often. Only the 18th play and they'd go on to do it four more times in the eight years between, but a lot of these songs on this record are like that. I think when it does come up though, I think it surprises a lot of people. I think it comes back and it kind of seeps in real nicely. Well, going back
2: to the story time, a lot of these album shows we kind of go back and they have these like classic stories where Ed, like, he'll get nostalgic about the record and he'll, he'll tell a story about something we'll get these really cool moments. And we hadn't really gotten that on Yield. There was the Aaron Rodgers thing, obviously, after No Way, but. I think this was a good time to do like a story time to to lead into all those yesterdays because you know you're getting ready to close it down and then you're gonna kick into the rest of the set so I think that was a good time to do and it was was a funny story too anytime you get like a childhood Ed story you know you're getting something pretty funny there and he kind of is reminiscing so I thought it was nice All those yesterdays I thought was just perfect. It's such a classic song. A lot of people compare it to kind of the classic Beatles kind of melody, that it has that kind of feel to it. I think this is probably my favorite performance on this show. It's kind of the culmination of everything leading up to it. It really felt like the band, they kind of feel excited and like when they know something you don't know. Here's like, you've gotten to the peak like you you made it we were getting to the end and it, it really felt like this was just played perfectly everything came together and it just was a really special performance i absolutely love this
0: So, I think we can get into the whole, what was the one from this? Because I think that every single album show has the one. The one that was the most special. The one that kind of made you feel like, yeah, this was the album show. Now, you said that All Those Yesterdays was the moment out of the yield songs, right? Yep. Yep. I think it was in hiding for me. And a close second is probably going to Given a Fly.
2: Yeah, Given a Fly second.
0: And you still have, what? (laughs) <laughs> two more than two hours left of the only
2: halfway through yeah
0: ba- yeah barely too. so here's something to kind of stew on for a second the album started at 26 minutes in it ended at an hour and 14 minutes in with two pretty sizable speeches and one smaller one the push me pull me one and also you have to take into account that they didn't do red dot so that takes some time off of it so that's 50 minutes right there that you have that the whole album is accounted for during the album total runtime 48 minutes. So, if their goal was to try and fully match the sequencing of the album and match the timing, then I think they hit it. You know, obviously, there's a lot of math to sort of deduct with that, you know, again, speeches and not having the red dot but i think that's pretty solid like to hold on to that and not have more time with it and then you know when you get later in the set it kind of feels like yield was was forever ago because it is such a long set but 50 minutes that was it
2: yeah that's tight they did what they wanted to do you know a lot of that is you know no wishless tag no untitled so yeah they wanted to keep it as true to dropping the needle as they could
0: Ah, now i mean this is why this show is so long right we'd like to play a record called lost dogs for you and the first <laughs> song goes like this you
2: know there had to be a couple people that thought all night was coming and they were just gonna kick into it
0: I mean, they they had like two seconds right there. Yep, yep. All right, so post-album, you got to give the fans something familiar and excitable. In Moline, it was given a fly to come off of Around the Bend, and this, it's Even Flow, and I think the, the thing that you mentioned before is just kind of the perfect, end capper to this saying that you got Mike his big moments in the beginning of the set and now that all this is over you're going directly back to Mike and Mike is really sounding very good at this like just stretching and bending out some of those notes and the siren sounds he does that sometimes and it had a little bit of that but hey He put the stone on this when he's riffing away and sounded tremendous on this version too. It wasn't like you were hearing his riffing in in the distance or anything like that. It was very upfront and apparent. So I guess that after yield, they didn't turn his guitar down at all. So great to see from everybody else, and it's a crowd that needed an introduction back to regular Paul Jam Wilson. Sure,
2: and then again the ending of Yield is Deep Cut City you hadn't really had a single along since Do the Evolution which was six songs ago so, so give yeah, it to In Hiding
0: gonna... come on well in, yes
2: In Hiding in this crowd yes but it's not a traditional sure. like song sure. that's gonna get a Pearl Jam crowd going on any given night first of all stat-wise I mean this is the first 10 song of the night at song number 18 that has to be one of the latest if not the latest uh, 10 songs ever made its debut as far as the solo goes you mentioned a little bit it has a weird start to it it felt like he was doing some kind of atonal stuff at the beginning of it but then it kicks off and then he goes into kind of the traditional let me do my Hendrix Eddie Van Halen thing and let loose on it and Mike needed a a moment after this was done and we're we're gonna get a few here before the set ends yep
0: right after Evenflo Ed said i was thinking about life today it's a series of tests sometimes you pass one sometimes you get another and pass that sometimes you don't pass but what matters is what's in between the tests no one can be right all the time and then there's pop quizzes that just happen and there's no way to study for it and love is the same way it's just constant tests you get way better than a star on your paper maybe you even get laid And you get kids and have love for them and then friends and neighbors and community. But one of the toughest tests for love is distance. I got a note from a woman sending a message to somebody here named Chuck. Her name is Diane. She had to go to Korea to tend to her ailing father, but just wanted to send a message along that she's thinking of you can't wait to get back, sending all of her love and thanks for supporting her. This is your song going right into Sirens. So powerful stuff from Ed and Sirens being in this era, we can talk about how weird it is that they didn't play it at all this year, but it felt like every single night Sirens was getting some kind of story like this.
2: It was weird that they didn't play it this year. thought that Ed, it always feels like he gives a little extra on the performance when there's a direct kind of dedication like that. It really felt like he was just pouring his heart into this one. And you can tell, too, when he does the little outro reprise that he's not just doing it, he's letting the crowd take the sing-along and he's kind of going up and around and He's kind of playing around with it and, you know, he's in a good mood and, and feeling good about it. Yeah, this is a good performance and another chance for Mike to let loose to a good Mike McCready moment.
0: So he doesn't get the double neck on this. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, maybe just a fixture of time. They're just trying to get in and get out with stuff. Who knows?
0: I kind of love that moment where... You know, Mike switches over to his electric, whether it be double neck or not, and then Ed takes over on the 12 string, which I don't think he ever plays a 12 string for anything else, so that's interesting to hear as well. And of course, pouring it all out at the end too. That's your classic, let it all out. All of your emotions at a Pearl Jam show have been released. So there you go. Good version of that, and the reprise was very good as well. Ed pulls out a Packer cheese head. And there are way more booze than cheers because I think that while of course all of Wisconsin is probably Packer people, I think that the proximity to Wisconsin being so close to Chicago, I think that you have a bulk amount of Chicago people that are there. After the Aaron Rodgers thing, it's gonna come up in a second too. But yeah, this this crowd is very divided over their football, two big rivals in the, the NFC North, so Ed says, we have to play this next song because of this cheesehead, said it is brought to you by the National Dairy Council, and quips that he can't put the hat on because he is from Chicago, and that's where you find out how dominant this Chicago crowd is at a Milwaukee concert. So, again, that's a, a running theme. But the song in question here is, because of Cheese, it's Rats. So you're getting another deep cut after a couple of those other Yield deep cuts. So, you know, more fan service that's coming your way right here. Well, I think Rats was a request, too, right? Like, the cheese head gets
2: thrown on stage, and it's got the request for Rats, like, in the, in the inside or something. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. Okay. he's like, oh, we've got a request here, and we've got to take it. Because, like, shout out to that person who went to the trouble of bringing that cheese head. Yeah, I guess I lost rats on and then throwing it on stage. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I lost that. Yeah. No, that that was smart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And but, I love this version of rats. I think it's cool to get deep cut up records. You think after playing a full record, which is gonna have deep cuts in it on its own, that they would kind of go chalk and just do hits. I love that they did this and, and play Rats here And yeah it is the funny moment When Ed like Says oh I'm not putting it on Cause you know everybody like oh put it on Put it on As far as the performance itself Give Stone some credit man Stone takes a solo on this And this is just A wonderful solo That Stone has on Rats It's like It's classic Stone All the way And I don't know if He usually takes the rat solo But,
0: but something my pay attention to So much
2: Yeah yeah same But it's really really good and really because after yield you know kind of like okay here we go we're going to kind of breeze through this but this again made me sit up and take notice very 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 good version of rats i
3: thought this was really cool
0: This next speech right here, again, you're going back to Aaron Rodgers stuff, which is not the most exciting thing. Like, talking about sports things, and this is more general sports things, but talking about sports things in the past, you kind of need to be in the moment for the, all that to really make sense and be exciting. But he says, and I remember this because working on NFL shows at the time, I remember that they covered this, you know, as one of their kind of kickers at the end. They kind of released the full screen of Eddie Vedder's trade of Aaron Rodgers to the Bears. And we said, you know, look, he could be traded straight up for Jay Cutler. And. <laughs> And that got a lot of people going in the crowd. And then he said that he brought that up. He brought that theory up to Aaron Rodgers when he met him backstage and said, I can honestly say I have never heard a grown man laugh so hard. So maybe Jay Cutler and three mini dick, as he said. But the coolest thing, and I think this is a joke that fell a little flat with the crowd, but says the coolest thing was when he comes to a show, he brings his offensive line and they sit in front of him when he sits one seat behind them. I thought the crowd was just kind of like, Oh, yeah. Like, the, really? So
2: I'm like, wait, where are they? Because the, the person filming is like, where are they? Where are they? <laughs> it's like looking around for a bunch of like six, eight, 350 pound guys. Right. But yeah. But the, the like, was Jay Cutler bad at this point? Is that, is that? Cutler was guy always guy? bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, again, you're, like you said, it's a timely thing. Like it's yeah. only going to be relevant at that time. And we're here, you know, eight years later and the circumstances have changed. It doesn't land like it, like it would have back then.
0: Yeah, happy to have Rogers here. This was his request, and that is actually false. His request was actually Rise, and maybe it's because they had the plan for sleeping by myself that they didn't want to do another ukulele song. I don't know, but they also... Had never done Rise at a Pearl Jam show up until that point. So not something that he was looking forward to, you know, figuring out backstage before going on there. But he gets setting forth dedicated to him. And then that's going to go into Rearview Mirror. That's going to end your main set. And we're looking at 22 songs here. Almost an hour and 50 minutes, this beast of a main set. It's the longest that we've come across in quite a long time that wasn't like a 1995 show or something like that where the main set was the bulk of the entire show. Most of these have very close to 90 minutes, and then the next 90 minutes is spent on the encore. But understandably, this one is going to spend a lot of time in the main set. But yeah, River Mirror, of course, sounded great. And it just had that jam that sound like, it wasn't even a jam, it was just kind of like a rock out moment. It was 10% spacey with whatever Mike was doing there, and then 90% just straight up rock and roll. Ed and Jeff jamming together, like they were feeding off each other, and then the crowd got their hands up. Ed played it up big time. When Jeff kind of held on to that, I always seem to be talking about this whenever like everybody kind of thinks that okay it's coming in it's coming in and he kind of holds that a little bit and then right when he goes into it you can hear that like burst of excitement in the crowd and then that build going back in very very good big finish on the strobe lights as well great version of
2: yeah when you get all three of the guitars doing their own thing at once it really creates this kind of trance like effect and this one really doesn't drop off and get quiet like some of them do one person will kind of take it and run with it and everyone else will kind of build on what they're doing like all three of the guitars are just going the whole time it's just yep. like more of an up-tempo kind of rock version of it and it really creates a cool effect especially like if you're listening in headphones you can just let yourself kind of go and like lose yourself in these guitars it really creates a cool effect i, I like when when rear view mirror has that yeah this is a good way to end set so.
0: Alright, we're at the encore, we're going to pause for station identification, but not for long because we do have about... An hour plus left of content to do here after a long main set, of course. But let's you know get into what we're doing over at Patreon and last couple weeks. And I think for the next couple weeks, we're going to have our requests that keep coming in and people are enjoying the requests and people are loving that we're covering their stories and telling their stories. So if you have a story that you want to tell on our podcast, then you get the opportunity to either write in. Or join the pod and talk about it on the show. And that all comes from donating to the Patreon, which will help us in all of our endeavors and trying to get this podcast to to grow and and whatnot. But if that's something that you're interested in, just telling your story and and wanting to be on a podcast, and it's it's exciting to be on podcasts. And I just want to throw it out there. Nobody should be intimidated to be on a podcast because we're, we're you guys like we're not associated with the band or anything like that. We just found a platform and it happened to work out where we were able to talk and and happily able to talk to you guys. You should never feel like you're intimidated by coming on to any podcast, not just ours, but like if you want to go on the better band podcast as well, like Brandon is a terrific source for that, obviously. And he always needs people to help him out. So Look, we just want to tell the stories. If that's something that you're interested in, it does happen through the Patreon. The two tiers that you will get that at are our Giga Leg Tier or Horizon Leg Tier, and those are five dollars and ten dollars respectively. Or if you just like to donate to the show and kind of pitch in and help out, or you want to just get the content over at Patreon, then you can join up on the dollar a month bonus leg tier, and that'll get you everything that's within that and look I've been given a lot of people lately the opportunity that were bonus like people that have been here for a year, two years, what have you that they can have the opportunity to pick an episode for them in the future and if you're sitting right here and you're like, "Oh, I haven't had an episode for me, but I've been a patron for a long time," then please reach out because yeah, look, like, you guys deserve to have something for you too. So, we're helping everybody out and look, the patrons this past week, got a nice little special email. So if you like special emails that have special gifts in these special emails, then maybe that's a nice little perk for you over on Patreon. So the website is patreon.com slash liveonfourlegs or the Patreon app where you can just search for Live on Four Legs and we're there. Or you can go onto the website liveonfourlegs.com. That is our site and there will be a become a patron button up there in orange all you gotta do is click that sign up and you're there and we appreciate all the people that have jumped aboard whether it was four years ago or whether it was two weeks ago we appreciate you all the same way so thanks everybody for that anything to add
2: yeah, definitely join our Discord if you're up on that. It's kind of a newer kind of social media-ish type of thing. But there's a lot of cool stuff going on on our Discord. A lot of people have joined in recently, had some good conversations going over there. And, like, if you're into the bootlegs, wink, wink, it might be be a good place to go. So uh, definitely check that out if you're new to Discord or you're new to our show and you're a Discord user. Definitely check that out.
0: And hey, live on com right now, like we're starting to get to the point where we're getting ready to release a lot more fan reports from the shows, from anybody, from you guys out there. Look, if you went to some of the shows on a September leg and want to tell your story, then please reach out because we'd love to share it on our site because it's not just us, it's not just our site. We feel like this band is so connected to its fans and th- these fans all have a voice, including you guys, that we want you to be able to use your voice if you're interested in doing that. So if you want to write something about a show that you went to on this tour, please feel free and we'll publish it and we'll be very excited to give you the platform. And from from my standpoint, hopefully we'll be finished with my first part of my seven-part series and uh, with the Toronto one. But yeah, that that should be out this week. and I think Danny's should be out on Quebec and Ottawa, and we should have one for Dakota on MSG as well. So a lot of good stuff that's going to be coming down to Pike with that, so you don't want to miss any of that. Make sure it's bookmarked. All right, back to the rock. No more full album. We just got songs from here on out. So right here is interesting because Ed is going to tee up something that's going to happen in a couple minutes. You're going to need two songs before they're going to do this. But he wants to see if they can sing happy birthday to a friend of his in just a moment. And it gets into some banter with a friend whose birthday is also on that day. ends up turning 37, which Ed kind of scoffs at and says, all right, for your birthday, I'm getting you a ukulele. The one friend that was born today is a very good person. You'll find out who that is in just a second. That'll get you into sleeping by myself, which will follow up with a baseless just breathe, which yeah, is baseless. Yeah. So I got not much on these right here because no. maybe that makes us seem like elitist Pearl Jam fans for not enjoying Just Breathe without a bass. And we get how important this song is to a lot of people, me included. But you need the frickin' bass for this to work, especially, especially live. It's just not as much of a talking point without it. I think it
2: loses something when it's just Ed solo. Not to say I didn't enjoy it because it's a nice song. I appreciate the sentiment behind it, and it's a nice melody. It's always nice to hear, but having the bass just elevates it into into something else entirely.
0: And for Sleeping By Myself, I think that we've kind of made the statement a lot that it's very hard to come up with more than a one-word opinion about hearing this song live, but what I will say is that there's no uke-smashing in this one. At least there was one with uke-smashing, so when we do get to that, which I have a feeling we're going to get to at some point in the future, I think a lot of people might be voting for that on the September leg episode of the year, so to speak, and if it doesn't come up there, it might come up in the not-so-distant future, that we'll be getting into the uke-smashing on that episode, so... All right, here's the moment. Ed asks if they want to do something special for his friend. They have a curtain in the back to make it look like he's in a room by himself. So he's going to talk into a phone, a camera, whatever, and then he's going to say something along the lines of, Hey, I wanted to sing you a happy birthday song, but my throat's not feeling good, so I'm going to have a little help on this. Drop the curtain and reveal it's all the crowd that's helping him and right before he does it he's like we're gonna sing happy birthday to tom Petty."
1: happy birthday to you happy birthday
0: Everybody's able to sing happy birthday, but there was one glaring omission. We didn't get any hello, Tom. Come down, Tom. <laughs> no. Well, no, because
2: he's not in Milwaukee. Yet. He's I, not, you know, staying at no, a hotel know. close by. Yeah,
0: that was 10 years after the fact, too. Right, right. So... A fun performance of I Won't Back Down follows up on that, the crowd singing along, they're on for the ride, Ed plays up. Well worth them teasing it at the beginning to come out for the encore and then do this after those two songs. It felt like those were kind of just the lead in to what was going to be the big moment out of all this. So.
2: It's funny with the curtain too, because like it's a whole production. They've got like yeah, right. two or three people there. It's like a whole thing. They're holding up the curtain behind them, and then they do the really dramatic like drop. I hope it worked out well on, on Tom's end. I don't know if he's ever mentioned it, but I, I, I hope it. I hope he enjoyed it. Like I hope it worked.
0: And look, the day that this episode is going to come out is going to be the 19th, which uh, the 20th. When you think of Tom Betty who passed away uh, in the month of October five years ago so yeah. of course that's going to be an important date a special date for for a lot of people you know died way too young died way yep. too young yep. so the next batch look they're they're going to go into small town after all this and continue sort of the crowd momentum on it then they're going to go to a song that i don't think should have that much crowd momentum and sometimes <laughs> it does sometimes it you know whatever but got some is going to go into jeremy that does have a lot of crowd momentum. You know, my overall thought is that I don't like Gotsam in the encore. It's not my favorite thing, and sometimes it's my favorite thing to say I don't like Gotsam in the encore, because I think it's just, at this point, you know, you went through all that, like, y- hit you hard, hit you hard with good stuff here, hit you with, like, State of Love and Trust or something like that, but you come back into the big songs and you come back with Gotsam, I'm just like, ugh... You just want something, you know, we got got some so much during the backspacer years. And I know that they didn't play Milwaukee in the backspacer years, but something could have been in that spot a lot more substantial, a lot more crowd-friendly. That's all I can say. When we do Hartford 2013, I will go on the full-fledged rant, mm, and okay. yeah, you, the whole you know, thing will
2: be... Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: I actually like this version
2: got some because, like, I know... We know how you feel about it so when it when it comes up in the encore i'm thinking like okay let me pay attention to this so i can either be on randy's side or kind of be the devil's advocate here i actually thought this was a good version of got some Most of the time, I agree, it's not a big, heavy, crowd moment song, and like, in the encore, you know, coming out of that, you usually need that to kind of bridge that gap, but it it kind of had a nice groove to it, it it hit like it was supposed to hit, and I think it it did its job. I think this one deserves a second look, if you will, It, it didn't fit in with some of those lesser versions, I thought this was good.
0: I'm not disagreeing with you because I think there's like two points. There's a a point of thought that is a more overarching point of thought that's just like construction. And then there's the thought of what the performance was. And I, I give this a little bit of a pass, and that's why I don't go on the full rant on this. That I, It wasn't a buzzkill. You did see heads in front just bopping along to it. It's not going to be... You know, you put State of Love and Trust there and you're going to have the whole crowd working to it. You put a rare song there that people are chasing, what have you, you're going to get the crowd reaction. But sometimes it's just based off of the vibe and based off the feel. And if the crowd was really feeling it on Small Town, had a nice moment out of that, and then I went back down too, it, it sort of elevates a little bit and it gets better. And it wasn't a terrible version. It's just never my cup of tea when it comes to, Getting you into these harder songs in the encore. So I think that Jeremy is a point to be brought up here because he says in the beginning, Cheap Trick was one of the first bands in history, Tom Peterson, to use a 12 string bass. And that is a good lead into Jeremy on this night, especially. And then good, good driving version of this with a lot of energy and and crowd response. So, yeah, they were more than up to the task on this. And then obviously you're going to get into two more crowd favorites in a second. But Jeremy, look, I think that from all the shows that we went to, especially the Toronto show, I thought that version of Jeremy, like that was the one that the crowd went craziest on. So maybe Jeremy's not your favorite song anymore. Maybe it's kind of been overplayed, whatnot, but Jeremy still brings it every night. The band still brings it on it. The crowd still brings it on it, and it works. So there you have that.
2: Yeah, and it's evolved in the 2010s to be... Something kind of different than what it was before too. Like it's all about that big moment at the end, and yet even if you're the most jaded Pearl Jam fan, you can you still feel something at the end of Jeremy when the, when the it's got that whole arena going. Yeah, it's a good moment for the crowd here. Yeah, definitely. They use it in this spot in Encore One. Like this is probably where it's been played more often than not in the last yeah. last ten, twelve years. I agree with that. To, to get the crowd going in this encore and give them a a big sing-along before you're going to crest over the wave and kind of ride it into the end.
0: The ending is going to be Lucan right into Porch, and look, this is a nice extended intro on Lucan to make this a total of, and I didn't actually do any counting, but a minute and five seconds, which is the longest Lucan of all time. (laughs) Not counting slow, Lucan. Um, Not counting slow, Lucan. Yeah, right. those are two totally different stories on that. Right. Or like half slow, half fast, Lucan, whatever you want to call that. That happened at the next night over in Denver. Yeah, Ed's just barking the entire ending before the riffy porch is kind of riffed on here. This is the kind of riffy porch, too, where this is where I get on this a little bit, where Ed like kind of resorts to whispering a little bit. I can deal with riffy porch up until a point, but that's when I'm like... Yeah, I'm out on this. Thankfully, really? <laughs> it's just kind of like kitschy, I guess. But I think that they did a good job this year, and in, in the way that they exposed Porch because it didn't have a lot of those riffy moments. It wasn't the completely one, two, three, four no. fast Porch, but it wasn't like what they did in this era at all. There was more of a punch to it in the beginning for sure.
2: Yeah, it it got to the point they didn't let it drag out, but. As far as looking like it, it was nice to get a no-code song here. Like, obviously, you've got a little bit of a hangover from Moline at these next couple of shows. So, it was nice to see at least one pop in, albeit just a minute long. But I thought Porch was good. I think it's funny. I looked up, and Jeff is just not playing at all during part of it. He's just somebody hands him. He's got the the basketball jersey. Somebody handed him from the crowd. And then, you know... He's playing
0: mailbox baseball with the orbs, too. Right. As every night. And then you're looking like...
2: Ed is way out in the crowd. Like, I think he had actually gone into the back of the GA. That's
0: what it seemed like, yeah. Into,
2: yeah, like, kind of taking the long road out into the middle of the floor there and giving the middle of the crowd a little moment there. It was, it was, it was cool. Being very fan friendly. And again, just this whole show, like, you know, we talk about some of these 2010 shows that just have the celebration kind of vibe to them. Just felt like the band was having a great time. They, they got through what they wanted to get through, and now they're just playing what they want to play and having a great time.
0: Yeah, you mentioned kind of Jeff stopped playing a little bit. I don't know if you caught this, but Mike stops playing like mid-solo to take a Polaroid of the crowd. I don't think I've ever seen him do that like that before.
2: It's not going to be know. the last time at this show either.
0: No, 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 we're getting it again. But yeah. this is that's that's still pretty cool, Mike, to do yeah. that. And, and yeah, it is up on top of the crowd for most of that ending to Porch, which is very good. But I think that we can tie this little Jersey thing into what's going to happen in, in Encore 2 because he's going to make reference to the jersey retirement thing with the orb and, and stuff like that so we can just get into that in a second but my one thing that i wanted to say about ed was that it looks like if he were at sea he'd be lost at sea if this were an ocean you know oh yeah all the time he mentions that this is an ocean near the waves and he rode the waves out pretty far so Good for him, though. Hey, gives the back of the crowd a little bit of love, and he always loves to do that, so. All right, now we're into Encore 2. The band's got to get to Denver. Should they still keep going? You know that they are, even this late in the fourth quarter. Ed talks a little bit about the Wishlist Foundation before getting into the Minneapolis Children's Hospital, which they are doing tremendous work in. I believe they had brought it up, and I believe they brought up some EB stuff at that St. Paul show, so that's good. And they kind of bring up the whole thing. Like, you know, we started this group to you know, make music and also make a difference around us. And he mentions Minor Threat did the same thing. U2 does the same thing. And it's it's great to see all this getting done around us. And he thanks everybody for their involvement within charity. And then stagehands, Simon, brings out a bottle of red and says he thinks that they'll need more of them for this song because the next song is, of course, Crazy Mary. Solo on Crazy Mary got to a little bit of a slow start, but definitely picks up a lot of steam once Mike comes over. And, and even in a little bit of the duel to begin, it's it's kind of mild. And all of a sudden, I think they realize, I'm like, all right, let's bring this up to a 10 now. And then they start going forward.
2: Oh yeah, it kicks in once Mike goes over to side, and they kick into co-op mode. It gets pretty, pretty good there at the end, but I mean, I've been waiting 25 years for Pearl Jam to make a minor threat reference on stage. That was the highlight of the night for me. I was out at that point. Like, I'm done. That, that That's what
0: I've been waiting for. Well, I guess we know what it's going to be in your top three moments. Right. This that's one. right. And Boom also did a little paint of black tees in this. It, it does happen from time to time. It's, it's fun when he implements it, too. So now we get into the retired jersey thing. So this is what Jeff was focused on during Porch. He put a jersey... That was a Bucks jersey with the number 10. And then, once the orbs went up, it was kind of like bringing that jersey up to the rafters. So, Ed is pointing out, he's like, ah, Kareem and all those guys that, you know, all have their jersey numbers retired there. And then goes on, and I'm not a basketball guy at all. So, I don't know, especially, I don't know Bucks history. I know history of other teams a little bit, but I don't know who Bobby Dandridge is I but don't either. I would expect that Jeff and Ed would because, you know, he was
2: 60s, 60s or 70s. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe he played for those good bucks teams with Kareem. And it was weird because it got a very lukewarm response when he brought up his name from the mostly Chicago crowd. I'm sure that doesn't even know who he is. So. That's why his jersey was on the orb, but he also kind of said that, oh, there's a number missing between 1, 3, and 4, which I'm not sure if it made sense for 10, but I, yeah. I don't know. That yeah, was weird. It was strange. I was trying to figure it out, but I guess the, the one quote to take out of all this section is talking about how big the Kareem jersey is because, of course, big jersey means big dry-cleaning bills. This one's for Bobby, getting into black. Very good vibe on black. This is a rare one that doesn't get too triumphant, doesn't get too emotional. It's somewhere right in the middle where it allows for Mike to have a big rock and roll performance on it. It Gets a little bit nice staccato strumming at the end when Ed does some improv lyrics at the end of that as well. Something along the lines of, I wish I could have called you one last time to say good luck, goodbye, and crowd hanging on top of every word here. Yeah, very
2: good mic solo, I thought, as it usually is in Black. And then, you know, I love when Ed goes off and does these little improvs on Black and just kind of gives you a little insight into what he's thinking about. And this one's very good as well. You mentioned like some of the lyrics, how it he kind of, like, takes off on that theme. But, yeah, you know, it makes you just kind of want to dig in more and, like, oh, you want to know who he's talking about. But, like, you know, we know that he'll never say, but it definitely adds something to the performance. I thought this was great.
1: I wish I could call you one last time. I wish I could have talked to you one last time. One last.
0: the final three of the night and they lost one of the main covers that they used because it was played fifth in the set so it's going to be alive then fucking up then led better i loved watching mike in alive just wild playing up and down the stage on this getting up on all of his platforms that's all i really had on alive but i think fucking up is sort of the story from the three here because ed mentions here that he wore a chicago bears jersey for just about every show all summer which I believe I, I can attest to that because I definitely, he wore it during the lead show and I think brought up Walter Payton. It might've been his birthday or death anniversary or something like that. But yeah, he was wearing that a lot at that time. So it's kind of like apologizing a little bit for the Chicago crowds there because he throws on a, a number 10 vetter Packers Jersey while look, that's not the most iconic fashion moment of the night. This belongs to, because this is 100% absolutely a Stone Gossard show, this is an iconic photo. This is an iconic moment of Stone's, the cheese head on Stone's head. I don't think you could get any better than this. This is the most appropriate fashion statement at a Pearl Jam show in a specific location that you can get. How perfect is that? Just to see Stone just wearing one of those things.
2: It's up there. And it's funny because it's totally not a thing that Stone would normally do. Like, he's normally not the guy who wants to be silly and ridiculous and, like... Well, not anymore. Right. He was, And, like, he doesn't want the spotlight, you know. But here, he puts on the cheese head. And, like, we talked about it before. Like, he makes Mike, like, just completely stop. Mike comes over and takes a couple of Polaroids of him while he's playing. Stone... Not to discount the performance, Stone has an absolutely perfect solo on this. One of his best solos of the night. I thought on a night full of really good Stone moments, Stone on fucking up is just absolutely amazing. And then, like, it just kind of gets weirder from there. Like, Ed puts on, like, a kind of a wrestling mask at the end like yeah, uh, Luchador. Luchador yeah mask and like it's just jumping off everywhere like this kind of gets a little bit off the rails on in a in a good way you could tell they were having a lot of fun
0: did you notice during the solo that one or two things with Cheesehead here. It either barely fit Stone's head or it popped out while he was soloing and he had to kind of just balance it on top somehow. Yeah, because I think after been. he yeah, was done, probably he, he kind of like messed around with it a little bit. And it says so much. I think that, you know, I did like a ranking of the best fashion of Stone over the years and, and nothing's ever going to beat Letterman in 96. But I think that this is a close number two. I think that this is the number two best stone fashion moment out there. Sure. I'll this whole that. thing is a, a massive party. And remind me what day of the week it is. It's a Monday. They did this on a Monday. And it got this crazy. So Mondays
2: in Milwaukee.
0: More power to them, right? Yep. yep. So... Of course, they're they're doing a little powwow. He runs through the band, introduces everybody, and says, you know what, Denver can wait a little bit until we see you again. Great memories of this last tour. want to thank you for it. Jeff puts on a shirt with Kareem's number on it, and it had something to do with that. And Matt steals Stone's cheese head somewhere in this, too, which was kind of funny to, to watch. But Mike is wailing away on both "Ledbetter" and Star Spangled Banner, And then I think that this kind of, I'm going to bring us something up here. The band says goodbye. They bow. It says, this one's on you. Thanks so much. You hear the cheers. And anybody that went to the show can kind of attest to this. I'm sure. But what has been passed down is that at the end, they played hummus as everybody was walking out. We did not hear that on the video. So we don't have proof of that. But I'm going to guess I heard it from a few different sources before that had happened, but I was all prepared and ready for it and hoping for it. And then no hummus. What gives?
2: Yeah. Don't know. Maybe, you know, it was cut off after the band was fully off stage and there was maybe like they had planned for it to start at a certain time or something, or they, somebody had to go like up and kick into the PA and do it. But yeah, it would have been cool to hear, you know, right after as they were kind of leaving, but uh, just one of those things that's that's part of the legend.
0: Yeah, now we didn't listen to the full bootleg. We just watched it on YouTube. So honestly, I don't know. I think that the YouTube video played the full bootleg, though. I don't see why they would have missed the opportunity of getting hummus in there, especially any time that there wasn't video for it. They just put a poster up. You would think that that would be a shoe in but also that's one even of those things. do think hummus
2: is on the bootleg. I think it cuts that's, off.
0: i I was about to say that's one of the things that the band would cut off because it just wasn't applicable or, or or whatever so that's the end of this massive massive show three hours and 10 minutes long with a full album and look we've been talking about the the rest of the set for the last 45 minutes to an hour here and it does feel like the yield set was a long time ago. So now I think we can dig right into some moments here, which will be interesting to see. I think we kind of revealed some before, but let's get back into talking about this a little bit. What's your three?
2: Ooh, my top three are fucking up. Number three. Number two is Rats. And number one is the minor threat reference in the middle of Encore 2. Just kidding. It's all those
0: yesterdays. Okay. Yeah, I'm sort of tossed up on how many yield I want to be in my top three, but it's not a three for three here. Because I have to give some credit to, to Baba. And I think Baba is going to be number two. Number three, I'm going to give it to Given the Fly because, again, just the celebratory song and all this, the one that makes everybody happy, no matter what show it is. And, you know, it, it gets elevated by this whole moment. And I think number one, like I mentioned before, is In Hiding. So that got elevated too. The whole yield set was very, very good. And now we can kind of dig into a little bit more of that and where it stands rating wise. John, take it away. Yeah, you know, I I sometimes, you
2: know, I don't want to fall into the trap of of just kind of giving things an automatic ten just because they're popular or there for a reason. And I I went back and forth on this, but but in the end it it is. Like it's a show that's that's full of great moments. The yield thing is very cool. It it's an album that has a lot of ups and downs in in a good way not ups and downs in a bad way but ups and downs like takes you on this ride like it's a very varied album it's got a lot of deep cuts a lot of songs that, that people love it's not one of the early ones that people like grew up with it's one that one of those middle records that you had to kind of like grow into and grow up with so you had a lot of good moments but even even besides that the show has got a lot of great moments a f- absolutely perfect stone gossard show like we talked about a lot of great moments up and down so 10 out of 10.
0: All right. Now it's my turn to kind of give a little bit of a take on it. Yeah, look, I think that Moline was like an automatic 10 once it happened. Like that's the, you know, I don't like to throw out around the instant classic term, but if there was anything that was the that personified instant classic, Moline would be it. And I think that Philadelphia had a little bit of that as well. I think Greenville was was right up there being very, very good. But I don't think I ranked that a 10. I definitely didn't rank the Binaural Show a 10 either. Um, I thought the show was great. I thought the show was very, very good. I think the Yield stuff was great. But I think that it's tough to say that they missed out on some extracurriculars with this. Because playing the full album is the extracurricular, but it did feel like, I I guess kind of going back to the point where you can say about Moline, like there were specific performances that really stand out where you can say either that, Oh, the crowd was celebrating this and there were moments of that, but it felt like after the show, there wasn't like the one thing where everybody said, Oh, you got to check this out. And honestly, Looking back on it, I would say if you gotta check anything out from the show, it might be Baba. It might be Baba, just because it was such a a unique thing to happen fifth in the set before this uh, set list altering album show took place. I'm yeah, this is this is this is tough, I, and my heart and mind don't gravitate towards the ten on this. But it's not like I'm gonna be hurting anybody's feelings. It's a nine and a half. This is a a great show that I think, because what you said before, like, just you have to give it a 10 because it's a 10, I think it just, just misses that. And I mean, like, by a hair, if we had one of those Yield songs that had been, you know, pro shot, that... Had been you know a Christmas single or something like that that everybody gravitated towards, then I think you'd have your big moment from the yield set. Instead, I think everything was pretty equal in that. You know, I, we both had different favorites, but you can ask like ten more people, and they might have different favorites in this as well. So, that's where I am at a 9.5, which is, you know, the worst score that you can give something like this, right? For your,
2: for your number one record. That's, uh, that's, that's yeah,
0: I, uh, yeah uh, well, you know, it's different than the record. And what I will say is that coming into this and my past prior listening to this was that I didn't think that the record being played in this order flowed very well. And I think that whatever I thought when I thought that was wrong, I think it flowed very, very well as, as a live set list. But it just doesn't hit the 10. I'm sorry. I know all album shows really should hit the 10, but this one just slightly, slightly misses. So I'm sorry I ruined your episode, everybody.
2: <laughs> Send your letters to Randy.
0: All right, let's get into what we're doing next week. A couple weeks ago, we had said that we weren't sure whether we were going to do the Dublin show or whether we were going to do a Boston show, and we ended up doing a Dublin show. Well, next week, we're going to end up doing the Boston show. And this is, I think I, I kind of teed it up wrong back then because I got the wrong date. And I think the date that everybody remembers is the second night in 2006 because that's a show that Leash makes its triumphant return on. But as a matter of fact, the requestee of this show, Joe Iarichi, he wanted to do the first night. And I told him, like, don't make it based off of what everybody else likes. Make it based off of what you have the better story on. He's like, yeah, let's do night one. I have a better story off night one. So that's what we're going to do. A little bit, maybe a little bit misdirection there with, you know, what you guys would have thought would have come out of a Boston show from 2006. but also. Maybe this one's not on your minds as much, so maybe we can turn you guys on to a brand new bootleg. So, excited for the possibility of that, as we do every single week. So, look, as we mentioned before, we're on Patreon, sign up there, but we're also on all of the podcast platforms. If this is just a one-off for if this is your first show and you're just listening in for the first time, then... You can subscribe to us basically anywhere that has their podcast, like Apple, Spotify, and look, if you also like, if you like us, then please feel free to rate us five stars on both of those platforms. And Apple actually has a place where you can comment, leave us a comment and let us and let other fans know what you think about the podcast. And that will hopefully, the hope is always to, you know, do the word of mouth thing and drive in more listeners. So Yeah can't thank you guys enough for continuing to support this and continuing to listen in. I know a lot of you loved The episode last week with the birds, just fantastic stuff, fantastic story, telling uh, about their story and backstage experience in Camden, which if you're done with this, then you have another hour to waste on podcast. Go listen to that because that's just it's it's great stuff. If you're interested in that, that's out there. We're getting towards the end of the year. So that means end of the year stuff is going to start happening. We'll start getting to 2022 stuff at some point. I think that'll be the plan once it comes to December. So if you guys are interested in hearing about what happened, you know, a couple months ago, then uh that's that's gonna be the point. So we're got a couple more episodes until we hit that. We got a whole November slate and then we're gonna really start getting to those. So all right. That's all I got for today. So I'll leave it here. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and miss you always. I'm going to leave you off with a little bit of dip right here because hummus did not get the respect it deserves. And damn it, it do deserve some respect. So that's where we're going to end it. Thank you all for listening in. An important show. We'll see you all next week.